Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Let's open up our Bibles to Acts, the 8th chapter. Acts chapter 8, we're going to begin there in just a moment. We get ready for questions and answers for the month of January, the 1st of 2018. And we're going to start that in Acts chapter 8 here just right quickly in a minute. It's great to see everybody tonight. Hope that you've had a pleasant afternoon. Hope you were able to enjoy the nice pleasant day that we've had, nice reprieve from the winter weather that we've been having. Mostly though, I hope that you're ready to do some Q&A right out of the Word of God. Uh, This evening I am going to be dealing, as I mentioned this morning, with just one main question, but I actually got it from three different directions. And all of these questions came just in the last month, particularly in the days and in the weeks that followed uh, our most recent baptisms that we've had here. Uh, For those that maybe don't know all the details, Josh Gwynn, Tanner Hatfield, McKenna Hatfield, and Caitlin Gwynn, they were all baptized on a Wednesday night about four, four and a half weeks ago or so. And that happened after our assembly. Everybody had done gone home. Probably most of you were probably already in the bed by that point. It was kind of getting up into the wee hours of the night. So that's kind of the story of, of their baptism. And then it was the following Sunday that Timothy Ford came forward and expressed his desire to be baptized into Christ. And so he was baptized during our worship assembly. And that was a great event as well. And so I tell you all of that so you've got at least just a little bit of context for why these questions were asked that I'm about to share with you. And I'll just share with you what was expressed to me and in the way it was expressed to me. First of all, I was asked, is it wrong to clap after a baptism? In a slightly different direction, I was then asked, why can't we show more emotion after someone is baptized? Why do we act so somber afterward? And then closely connected with both of those was this third question, and that is, is hand clapping acceptable in the assemblies? Now, There's lots going on there. Your gears are probably turning right now as you think about those things, especially if you've never really thought about, you know, does the Bible say anything about all of that? But it all circles around really just kind of the general idea here of what about clapping at a baptism? What about that joyful expression of clapping your hands whenever someone is baptized into Jesus Christ? What does the Bible say about that? Does the Bible say anything about that? Well, I want to start this evening actually with that middle question, that second question there, about why can't we show more emotion when someone is baptized? I think that's a good place for us to start in dealing with this question, and that's why I've asked you to open up your Bible to Acts the 8th chapter. In Acts chapter 8, what we actually have here is we have the record of a baptism, and we also get the record of the reaction that immediately followed that baptism. And what this passage confirms for us, I believe, is that emotion can, in fact, be good and it can be right. In Acts chapter 8, look in verses 38 and 39. There, the Bible tells us, Acts 8, 38, that he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. It says that the eunuch went on his way rejoicing about what had just taken place. Now, if I was going to get really, really fussy about this, 
I might say something about the fact that this is not an actual assembly. It's not an assembly of the church that's going on here in Acts chapter 8. But I'll not get into that and I'll not make an issue out of that. But what is absolutely clear to me from Acts 8 verse 39 is that that Ethiopian man, he is joyful and the Scripture seems to be telling us that that was a good thing. That it was good and right for him to have that emotion and to feel that way after being baptized into Christ. Having said that, I must tell you that I really do not understand the second part of that second question. The question that asks, why are we so somber after a baptism? I'll just be honest with you. I don't see that here. I see after a baptism that happens here at Lakeside, I see tons of different emotions. Usually when I'm in the baptistry with the person, I usually hug them right then and right there. Maybe it's a full hug, maybe it's just a side hug, but I get wet right there with them while I'm in the water. And when I'm looking out from that baptistry and I look out and I see people either in the full audience or maybe we've just got a small group of people that have came to be here for that, you know what I see? I see people with smiles just grinning from ear to ear. I sometimes see people, they're pulling out tissues and they're wiping their nose and they're dabbing at their eyes because there's tears of joy being expressed. And of course, after a baptism, after the person comes out, or maybe after we've concluded service, what usually happens? There's a huge log jam right up here. Everybody comes forward. Why? Because they're emotional. They want to hug that person. They want to shed a tear on their shoulder. want to put their arm around them, shake their hand, let them know how happy and how pleased they are that they obeyed the gospel. I must tell you, if somebody say that we're just so somber after a baptism, I don't get that. Because I see every kind of emotion. Could the problem be? Could the problem be here that maybe if others are not expressing their emotion in the way that you want them to express that emotion, like what we're talking about in this lesson tonight, clapping, is it possible that maybe whatever way they're choosing to show their emotion, well... Well, that just doesn't count because you're not doing it the way that I want you to do it. It's just a funeral home around here. Why isn't there any kind of excitement about what's just taking place here? Looks like everybody's just a big bunch of zombies here. Nobody's expressing any emotion. Well, hold on just a second. We can't just jump to that conclusion. Why does everybody have to express emotion in the same way that you express emotion? Why are we going to just immediately just jump to the conclusion that, well, everybody here is just a bunch of joyless bumps on a pew? Let's stop for a second. Let's think about that for a moment. In fact, let's tonight, let's put together some principles that will help us to think about expressing our emotions in worship. And let's just start with what we just talked about right then and there. And that is the fact that not everybody expresses emotion in the same way. Some people are very, very demonstrative. Some people are very, very outgoing. They are very wear their hearts on their sleeve and everybody knows how they feel. I'm thinking about Kenny Hamilton. Boy, he's just so outgoing in that way. No. And then, of course, people on the other hand, there are some who are just so shy and retiring and they're quiet and they don't let people know necessarily what's going on on the inside. People like me. No, hold on, I've got that backwards, I think, tonight. But you see, there's always going to be differences in how people handle and deal with their emotions and in how they express those emotions. 
And so we need to be careful that we're not going and telling somebody, hey, you need to be doing it like I do in order for that to count and it be pleasing to God. And you know what? If you're not doing it the way that I'm doing it, well, well, then you're just obviously doing something wrong here. We need to realize that somebody may be sitting there entirely quiet, but they may be doing cartwheels inside. They may be rejoicing in their heart. And you know what? That's good. That is right. That is absolutely good and right. The fact that their emotions are not out there and on display for everybody to see, that doesn't make it wrong. Nor does it mean that they're not rejoicing. I can't go and tell somebody, hey, you didn't cry during the Lord's Supper this morning, so it doesn't count for you. I can't do that. It's not my place. That's nonsense. We are all different. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different maturity levels. We all have different personalities. We all have different emotional makeup. Which leads right into this second principle that I think we need to consider. And that is the fact that Scripture never defines for us a specific way that we are all to express our emotions. There is no passage that I can turn to that says, Hey, look. Here's how everybody's supposed to be doing it. We've all got to be doing it exactly this way, so you better get with the program. No. There's not a verse. There's not a verse that I can point to that says, whenever we're singing praises to God, you better have a smile on your face. There's no such passage like that in all of Scripture. In fact, in Scripture, what we find, number three, is that God strictly legislates, and in fact, God puts boundaries on conduct in worship. You know, whenever we talk about emotion in a worship assembly, I think there is this sense, there is this commonly held belief that more is better. The more emotion, the better it's going to be. And that whoever around here is trying to kind of be the police about this and they're restraining those emotions, well, you know what? We need to get those people out of the way so that we can all just really let it out. But biblically, biblically, that is not true. In fact, I can show you that. Would you find 1 Corinthians chapter 14, please? In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, this is a great passage to go because this is, without a doubt, an assembly. It is a worship assembly. And in this worship assembly that's being talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, there are actual miraculous gifts of the Spirit that are present there. And this assembly is kind of pretty much the template. It is the superheated kind of chaos that so many people want to try and replicate in their assemblies today. Yet in the middle of all of this, this extensive discussion that Paul does here in the 14th chapter, Paul does not say, Way to go, Corinth! Boy, you guys are really doing it right! Boy, I'm about to go over here and tell these Macedonians that they need to pick it up a notch or two because you guys are really setting the bar high. Nope. Paul writes this letter and in chapter 14 he says, what you all are doing down there, it's a mess. And it needs to stop. Look at verse 23. In verse 23 Paul says there, If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Paul says we're not going to have some big kind of crazy, zany assembly going on that where there's just ruckus and all kinds of just chaos happening there. No. Paul says instead, everybody needs to be very careful. That's what needs to be happening. Everybody needs to be very careful in how they conduct themselves in the assembly of God's people. Look at verse 26. Verse 26, what then, brothers? 
When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. You want to talk about rules for worship right there? That's the rule. That is the rule. Don't bubble up some kind of emotion in yourself and say, Oh, I just got to let it out. No, Paul says you don't have to let it out. Paul says you can keep it in. Unless it's going to build up, you better keep it in. In fact, Paul even says in this chapter that even if someone were to receive a direct divine revelation from God, and that is something that people in the first century church, there were people who were given those kinds of direct revelations, Paul says in verse 28, he says, if there's not somebody there present who can interpret that revelation, you know what you need to do? You need to be silent. You need to keep that to yourself. He says, this assembly is under control. We're trying to do things here that contribute to building up. Edification is the word. We're not trying to contribute to something that's going to be a distraction for everybody. We're trying to worship in such a way, look at verse 31. We're worshiping in such a way so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. That's the rule. That is the rule that must govern not only that church at Corinth, that's the rule that needs to govern us today as we come together as God's people and as we worship Him. Now, I realize that while this assembly here in 1 Corinthians 14, it is different from our assembly today in the fact that we don't have people who have miraculous gifts of the Spirit today. That is one obvious difference. But I would say this. If spiritual gifts were to be controlled back then... How much more should expressions of emotion be controlled by us today? I think all of that's maybe best summarized in the very last verse in the chapter. Would you look at verse 40? Verse 40, Paul says, But all things, they should be done decently and in order. Do you know what that means? It means exactly what you think it means. It means orderliness and well-regulated conduct. People sometimes think that if they start feeling some particular emotion and they want to express that in some way, some people kind of get offended. You know, how dare you stifle me and stop me from expressing that? The Apostle Paul doesn't apologize for stifling that. Paul says if it's not decent, if it's not in order, don't do it. Because an assembly that is full of all kinds of wild displays, Paul says that is out of order. And I really want to kind of double underline this particular point. Because I think all too often we have folks who maybe look kind of longingly at some of our friends in the denominational world, particularly I think of folks that are involved in some of the Pentecostal movements and some of the more charismatic religious groups. And we look at those folks and we say, you know what? I may not agree with those folks entirely on their doctrine, but you know what? You watch those people worship, mm, I think they're getting it right. I do. I think they've got the spirit that we need to have in all of that. They may not be doing everything exactly right, but those folks, they know how to worship. I would submit to you this evening that that line of thinking is false. That kind of superheated, out-of-control ruckus, it is specifically rebuked in Scripture. We just saw it here in 1 Corinthians 14. Why then would we ever be envious of something that God explicitly says, don't do that? Particularly when you think about this next fact, And that is the fact that the Bible, the Bible actually places very little emphasis 
on outward displays of emotion. Have you ever noticed that before? I wonder sometimes if folks have actually sat down and studied that out and saw just how little the Bible has to say about that. You just start running all of your references, start doing some word searches and things of that nature, looking for stuff about emotion in worship, you're just not going to find very much at all in the Bible about that. For example, in the Bible, there are six references that talk about shouting in worship. Six in the whole Bible. All of those references are metaphorical except for one when the Bible tells us in Exodus that the people of God shouted whenever God came down from Sinai. And yes, somebody's wondering probably at this point, are there any references in the Bible to clapping? Yes, there are. How many? There are twelve. Twelve references to clapping in the Scripture. Yet I would tell you, not a single one of those speaks specifically about clapping in a worship assembly. All of those passages are actually metaphorical, poetic in nature. I would tell you this, there are actually more passages in the Bible about clapping and hissing at your enemies than there are verses in the Bible about clapping in order to celebrate God. Yet even with that understanding, I'll tell you this, I've never met anybody who said, hey, we ought to get a group out and go out here on the corner and start clapping and hissing at all of our enemies. Nobody's advocating that. But you know what? If you want to get technical about it, that is where the emphasis about clapping is in the Bible. And so while there are a few scattered mentions, or maybe at best, just a few scattered inferences to shouting or stomping or clapping in worship, this notion, this thinking that, well, I tell you what, worship under the Old Testament law, worship that happened down at the tabernacle, at the temple, boy, I tell you, it was just a big emotional free-for-all. That's just not true. Or this thinking that even in the New Testament times, that I tell you what, the early church, boy, you went to their assemblies, it was just a big pep rally atmosphere. That ain't in the Bible. In fact, if you want to find emotional outbursts in worship during Bible times, where would you go? You'd go down to the idol temple. You'd go down to where they were worshiping the false god Baal. You'll find lots of emotion going on there. Or maybe you would go there to Exodus chapter 32 where the Israelites, and that's the actual reference that I mentioned a second ago, where they were shouting. Do you know what they were actually doing on that day? They were worshiping a metal cow. They were not shouting to the Lord. Or you'd go to 1 Corinthians 14 where the Lord specifically tell the folks there the commotion that they were causing. God tells those people to stop it. What we need to do is we need to think biblically about this idea of frenzy and emotion in worship, which leads to maybe the most difficult principle that really demands our consideration. And that is the fact that worship worship really is a balancing act. And it's a tough balancing act. Jesus, of course, talked about worship when He spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. Would you find John 4? I have this verse on the screen at the beginning of every one of our assemblies, but it's good to actually just go look at it in the Bible. In John 4, let's actually get verses 23 and 24. Uh, What did Jesus say here to this woman that is to overarch everything that we know and understand and do in worship? In John 4, look in verse 23. Jesus says there, He says, But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshippers 
They will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. In order to have right worship, according to Jesus, you have to have, number one, you have to have the right object. Who's the right object? It's God. It's the Father. You secondly have to have the right methods. That's what I think he's talking about when he says, in truth. And then you thirdly have to have the right heart, the right attitude. And that's the idea there of worshiping in spirit. And of course you need to have all three of those components in order for worship to be doing any kind of good. If you take away maybe one of those elements, maybe you're doing two out of the three, it's not going to work. The whole thing's just going to fall down. If we're worshiping maybe, for example, with we're just worshiping with all kinds of spirit, we've got all kinds of fervor, but we're not actually doing it according to the truth, that isn't going to work, is it? If we decide, hey, we're going to have a human sacrifice for God, we're going to do it for God, and we're going to do it with all kinds of passion and zeal, is that going to work? No, it's not. That's not according to truth. And by that same token, If we're doing all of the right things, we often refer to like the five acts of worship. If we're following that New Testament pattern for worship, but our heart's not in that, if there isn't any zeal, if there isn't any love for the Lord, if we're not thinking about what we're doing, then that's not going to work either, is it? That's not going to be acceptable unto God. So as a result, as we think about these two things, there's, there's kind of a tension there. We certainly don't want to go too far in one direction over here or too far in this direction over here. We don't want to get all emotional. And as a result, we throw out what the Bible says about doing things decently and in order. And we don't want to swing in that other extreme either. Where we just become so rigid and so stoic and we're just so emotionless that we end up quenching the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 19. That would be be just as wrong. So as a result, there's just always going to be a struggle to, to strike the right chord and to find the right balance. And let's be honest. Sometimes, sometimes maybe we are too somber. I don't want to totally discredit that point. Maybe not at a baptism, but there may be other times where in our worship, in our assemblies, maybe we are a little bit too somber. Maybe that's true. and Maybe we do need to do a little bit of work on finding some better balance of truth and spirit. But at the end of the day, it's, it's still a struggle, isn't it? Maybe that's why, for example, the night that Tim come forward, We sang songs. We sang songs before he was baptized. And there was singing after he was baptized. Because we know, we're absolutely certain that that is a scriptural way for us to pour out our hearts and our emotion to God. And we can rejoice that God has brought this precious soul into the kingdom. And we're just so happy about that. All of that then brings us to really kind of the specific question then. Well, what about clapping then? We certainly hopefully learned some very broad principles here about emotions. Where does clapping fit into all of that? Is clapping going to be an appropriate way for us to let our emotions out in the assembly of God's people? And specifically the questions were pertaining to the idea of at at a baptism, someone being baptized. Well, I'll just start by saying this. I just want to make everybody understand. It's pretty hard for me to stand up here and say, you know what, you just better not ever clap especially since clapping is found in the Bible. There are verses that do talk about that. Not a lot. 
And not a single one of those passages talking about in a specific literal worship assembly setting. Old Testament or New Testament, all of those references are poetic and metaphorical. Like, for example, in Psalm 47, which actually, let's get one of those. Look in Psalm 47. Here's the kind of thing you'll see if you look up clapping, go home and run your reference search, look up clapping in the Scripture. This is the kind of thing you're going to find in the Bible. In Psalm 47, look in verse number 1. The psalmist here, Psalm 47, verse 1, he says, Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. There's clapping. There's no doubt about it. It says there's clapping going on. So it's pretty hard for me to stand up here and say again that if you clap during assembly, particularly if you clap when someone is baptized, oh, you're a sinner. You're going to hell for that. You better repent of that. Well, you can't. I'm not going to say that. I can't say that. But I will say this. How clapping works out today in worship in our world today, to me just seems very, very different from the clapping that I think is described here in Psalm chapter 47. I really actually think you'd be very hard-pressed to make an exact apples-to-apples comparison to the clapping we read about in Psalm 47.1 and what clapping to most folks means in 2018 America. For example, clapping today seems mostly associated with the festive and party-like atmosphere that is commonplace, like at a concert, or like at a sporting event. And that kind of atmosphere, that is the very opposite of reverence. Jim Hardy preached a great sermon last week, last Sunday night, on reverence. And I'll try not to repeat all of that again. But you know, we look at Psalm 47 verse 1, and we're looking there at clapping. It's, it's in a poetic uh, poem here, so that clapping could, could mean any number of things. But can I give you a verse that's not up for debate whatsoever? Look in Hebrews chapter 12. You debate the meaning of Psalm 47 all day long, but you can't debate Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. In Hebrews 12, 20, if we're going to talk about worshiping God, and where exactly does the Scripture place the emphasis when it comes to worshiping God, I think verses like Hebrews 12, 28 pretty much answers that for us. In Hebrews 12 and in verse 28, the writer says there, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence, and all godly fear. I watched a sermon last night. Actually, I didn't watch the whole thing. But I watched a sermon on YouTube last week from a... At least they were a Church of Christ in, in name. And in the sermon, it really it was very early on when this started occurring, there was clapping going on for the points and the things that the preacher was saying in the lesson. In fact, as the lesson went longer and longer, those claps and applauses just got louder and rowdier as it went on. I must tell you, that didn't seem very reverent to me. In fact, it seemed more like a game show. It's kind of the response that you would do when a contestant up on the stage wins a prize. Hey, he won a car! Oh, yeah, he won a car! Which leads right into this next important consideration. And that is that I believe today, clapping is commonly seen as a response to being entertained. Comedian maybe gets up on stage and he does his stand-up routine. And he's really funny. And the guy gets on the PA. Hey, let's give this guy a round of applause. Boy, he really entertained us tonight. I'll tell you this. I would be mortified. I would be appalled if someone clapped for my sermon because they were entertained by it. We're not here to be entertained. 
We are here to worship God, Hebrews 12, 28, with reverence and awe. Now let me interject right here, just to kind of be very safe here. Before I make anybody mad and put up any more thoughts up here, I do realize that clapping can be a very natural, spontaneous expression of joy. And maybe it doesn't mean that I'm being irreverent. And maybe it doesn't mean that I'm you know, responding to being entertained by something. I get that. Please don't go making any kind of wrong assumptions about what I'm preaching out. Oh, Josh is up there saying that we should never be happy when somebody's baptized. Listen, when I go in that baptistry room and I'm getting those waiters put on, maybe second only to the person who's in the other room and who is about to be baptized, I'm the most excited person in the building. And then when I get in to that water and I put that person under the water and I bring them up, newness of life, I've got a smile on my face. And it's not, I'm not putting it there. It just breaks out. Every single time you go back and look at some of the pictures of people being baptized, there's a smile right there on my face. It takes a jackhammer to get it off. And so I don't need to be schooled about being emotional when someone is obedient to the gospel. I often tell folks after I baptize somebody, I'll say to folks, you know what? I'm not going to do anything better all day. That'll be the best thing I do all day long. And that's absolutely true. Because it is awesome. And it is great. And it is amazing. And so I understand wholeheartedly about the idea of expressing joy in those circumstances. But I must tell you that I think we are being naive if we do not believe that clapping could create confusion, that it could create disorder. We read those passages a moment ago in 1 Corinthians 14. Think about that. Think about the principles there, how that would apply here to the idea of clapping in an assembly. In fact, in that passage we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul said, even if your conduct doesn't create all kinds of confusion and disorder for the church, for the people who are members there, it certainly could create some confusion and disorder for a visitor, for an outsider, somebody who doesn't even really even know what's going on. And boy, to them, this just seems like, whoa, it's a circus in here. So what kind of impression might we be having on them? And since I've talked here about the idea of the group, thinking about the body, thinking about the congregation as a whole, I think it's important as well to say that your emotional response, whether it be clapping or whether it be some other kind of manifestation, I must tell you, your emotional response is not nearly as important as our unity as a congregation. There's not a single place in the Bible where God ever tells people that, boy, you need to turn up the heat. That's what y'all need to do there. Y'all need to just turn the emotion up like 75 notches. There's not any verses like that in the Bible. But you know what? There are dozens of places where God says that His people are to be united. That they are to be patient with one another. That they are to forbear with one another in love. They are to take the actions that are necessary in order for the body to have unity. And so if I am compelled to express some kind of emotion, do I really want to do that in such a way that could be divisive? Do I really want to express that knowing that it could cause some problems with my brothers or my sisters? Do we really especially, think about it at baptism, Do we potentially want to ruin this great and amazing moment 
of someone obeying the gospel because somebody over here decided to go on a big clapping fit right in the middle of all that. Do something that causes all kinds of confusion. Do something that causes all kinds of misunderstanding. Do something that causes a brother over here to have a heart attack. Oh, I can't believe he did that over there. We need to understand that while I might be comfortable doing that, there's others around me in this body. They may not be comfortable doing that. And it may make them very uncomfortable for that to be happening around them. And since there are lots of different ways that we can express our emotion, we've highlighted a bunch of those throughout this study. How about we just do something that everybody can do? How about we just do something that everybody's comfortable with? How about we do something that we all know for certainty is scriptural? Let's not mar our worship. Let's not mar a great moment like somebody obeying the gospel. Let's not do something that would end up damaging our unity. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3 talks about how we need to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That means I'm going to like go to extraordinary lengths in order to maintain and preserve the unity that we enjoy here. That's what we need. And I'll tell you, that's a whole lot more important than how you might feel in that moment. Now, if we want to just get all the way down to just brass tacks, and if we want to just be really, really honest, let's just tell the truth here. Clapping in this assembly, whether it be somebody being baptized or as some kind of a response to something that's happened in our worship, I think if we're being honest, we would have to say, that's just not us here at Lakeside. And I think that's important to say. I've worshipped with congregations where the brothers and sisters there were very vocal. I was with one of those groups back in November. Joyed being with those good folks. Lots of amens. Lots of praise the Lord. Lots of mm-hmm, that's right, right in the middle of the preaching. And I even imagine if somebody had been baptized that week, it would not have surprised me at all if that group would have all broke out in applause for what had taken place there. And you know what? That's just the fabric of that group. It just fits into that culture. It's not distracting for them. For them, for them that works. And so I'm not going to go poking into their business and tell them that they're all just a bunch of sinners because they clapped at a baptism. But again, I think if we're being honest, if we're being honest, that's, that's not us here at Lakeside. Maybe someday, maybe it will be. Of course, demographics change. People come and people go. People die off and new people are coming in. And so all kinds of things could change. But for right now, I'd like to think anybody that's been here for any real duration of time, you know, that's just not us here. And so if somebody asks me, what's my take on clapping in the assembly, particularly in response to a baptism, and I was asked for this lesson, I'll just tell you, it's not for me. I'm not going to go judging and condemning and consigning people to hell who may do decide to do that clapping. But what I would suggest that you do is think, if you haven't already, think about those principles that we put up on the screen a moment ago. Those principles that ought to govern our emotional responses in worship. And then think specifically about some of these ideas. How those things would apply to the idea of clapping or something along those lines. You may come to the conclusion after thinking about that, maybe you've already thought about that a whole lot, you may have come to the conclusion, you know what, eh, I just disagree with you, Josh. And you know what? 
That is totally fine. That's okay. It's not some kind of an issue where we're going to have to divide over. I just would urge you to just think about this. Think about these things. Give consideration. And if you've got some additional thoughts that I've not presented tonight, I'd love to hear those things. love to take all of that into consideration as we try to understand what God wants from us. I'll say this. If you appreciated this lesson, please don't clap and applaud and do all kinds of cheering. And if you didn't like this lesson, please don't boo and hiss and stomp your feet at me. That, that isn't going to be good. Instead, Let's just take what God has given us in His Word. Let's use our judgment. Let's put our thinking caps on. Let's lean upon one another. Draw from the wisdom of others. Let's just always seek to do what would be most pleasing unto our great God. Now, as we extend the invitation of the Lord, I will tell you that if you are not a Christian, and tonight is the night that you decide you want to put Jesus Christ on in baptism, there's going to be joy up in this place. Everybody may decide to bridle the clapping, at least for tonight, but I'll tell you, even if there ain't any clapping, there's going to be all kinds of expressions of joy. And rightfully so. Just like that Ethiopian man shows us in Acts chapter 8, when we do what is right, that is reason for rejoicing. When we are serving God and we are following Him, we're doing what He says, we ought to rejoice because you know what? Heaven rejoices too. Those angels are singing and rejoicing and doing whatever they're doing up there. God is pleased. And you can leave here tonight knowing that you've pleased the Lord. We can help you tonight to put Jesus Christ on in baptism. Love to do that. If you've just got questions, maybe you're just not even really sure of kind of where you are spiritually and you're kind of looking for some direction, be glad to sit down and talk about those things. You come grab me after services and we'll be glad to do that. Brother or sister, it may be, we've talked about, I preached this morning's lesson really in preparation for what I was going to preach on tonight. You may have been thinking today about, you know what, I've just, I've just not been the kind of joyful Christian that I know I ought to be. And I, I need to fix that. I need to improve that. Then this is a time, a wonderful time. We're going to reflect and think about the condition of our soul as we sing this song. Repent. If you want to ask your brothers and sisters to help you in that, and help us to, to, to hold you more accountable and do things that will help to create more joy in your life, we stand ready to assist you as well. Whatever your need might be, let's all serve the Lord. That way we all know we can leave this building tonight knowing that we are rejoicing because we know where our home will be when this life is over. If you need to respond to the gospel, would you come to the front while we stand, while we sing?